You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. You've known for a couple of weeks, for a couple of days, where you're going to go to school. It's time to let the rest of the world know what it's going to be. The floor is yours. I turn it over to you. Let's hear the announcement. And my name is Noah Talati Manola Fuanga, Polo Gates. Uh, this summer I will be attending Nebraska. The University of Nebraska. It's in the teens tonight in Lincoln, Nebraska, but a message of warmth from Noah Pola Gates to Coach Frost in Lincoln. Uh, what drew you to Nebraska and Coach Frost's program? Um, I'd say the fans and the coaching staff and how well bonded they were. Terrific. Well, Noah Pola Gates, congratulations to you and your family. We'll see you next year at Nebraska. Kanoa, we'll send it back up to you. And welcome here to this edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, Robin Washett. And you just heard right there, no Paula Gates. That was late Saturday night. Nate and I were joking. We're in Brian Munson, how old we are, staying up past 11 to, to watch a commit announcement. Took a little bit of work, but by God, the announcer had to use the old weather thing. That's that. that I mean, I'm <laughs> did, did he talk about the cornfields too after that? Nate, I, I didn't catch that, but no Paula Gates. Uh, makes really what we've known for a long time official going public with his commitment at the uh, Polynesian Bowl in Hawaii. Yeah, he had to mix in the the weather thing at least three times before, <laughs> before and after he he announced his commitment. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we finally got official word. You know, and it was one of those things where to to sign and to have it be kept a secret that long is really really hard to do and and word started to get out about a week before uh the polynesian bowl but uh, but he did make it official and it's a big pickup for nebraska i mean this is a kid that once again they went toe-to-toe with the likes of alabama usc um you know penn state and arizona state to to get this kid and um and they got him and and i think that uh you know with how they targeted him they were on him for almost an entire year now uh, to, to get a kid like that into your program and, and maybe most importantly a, a Polynesian kid, somebody who could potentially help you down the road get add more Polynesian players to this roster is a really big deal. Nate, I know you've been able to evaluate him quite a bit, but uh, what type of player is Nebraska getting? I mean, how big of a deal is this as far as immediate impact uh, in that secondary going into next season? Well, you know, for me, the thing that really stands out to me, are two, two things, is are his speed and physicality. And, and that's, I mean, that's kind of a hallmark for all the defensive backs that Travis Fisher is bringing into the fold here. Uh, they're all kind of, they're all tough guys that, that have no problem getting physical with you. Um, and, and they can, they can run and, and Noah Pola Gates can, can really run. He's got coverage skills. He, he's played corner, uh, but he loves nothing more than to come up and run support and knock your head off or, or to, to blow up uh, and break up a pass in the back end of that defense. And, and I think that's going to translate well, uh, you know, from seeing him at the all American bowl and talking with all the, the coaches there, they raved about how well he knows the game of football, how well he understands it, um, and, and on and kind of how they had to keep reining him back, uh, you know, from from uh, being so physical. But but that was a good problem to have, and uh, in, in that those qualities are going to help him kind of translate to the next level once he gets to Lincoln. You're listening here to the Husker Line Show, Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, Robin Washett. We're opening up here with some thoughts on Noah Paula Gates from over the weekend, Nate. And you hear this a lot too: Will he be a safety or a corner? Um, you know, I think he's kind of slotted, at least on our sheets, as a safety, but he could easily be a nickel, even a corner. I mean, there, there's a chance he could play a multiple uh, amount of positions in the secondary, kind of just depending on where the greatest needs are and where he could help immediately. Yeah, you know, I think that's one thing that you, you have to like about this pickup. And really, 
all the all the defensive backs they all have quite a bit of versatility um and, and so yeah he's slated you know on our sheet as a safety but I, I do think that like i said he's got some coverage ability he's played corner in the past he can run very very well um you know and he has natural coverage skills and so uh, i think that you can bring a guy like him in and and start him out at corner or nickel and, and say okay let's see what you can do here because we know for sure we can always move you back to safety um and we can maybe do some different things with your talents here um and, and you've got some some other defensive backs in this class where i think uh you know much like a javen Wright or a miles farmer who also have played corner but uh but could possibly play safety or even those guys could even possibly move down to outside linebackers so it's going to be uh it's going to be interesting to see how everything kind of kind of happens and shakes out with all those different players given their certain skill sets it seems to me that's kind of the trend the staff is going towards with their secondary is the the term versatility being able to play two even three different positions and be able to move them around inside and out depending on the matchup I mean you look at last year's class the guys they brought in this class I mean you kind of see that being the new uh trend uh with this staff going forward is uh we don't want just a safety we don't want just a corner unless I mean obviously if they're elite but that ability to line up inside or out and mix and match different positions it's got to be a pretty high priority for them yeah it is a really high priority for them and um, you know, especially when you, when you look at the the measurables of these guys that they're they're looking at, they're they're not focusing in on on guys who are strictly cover corners, who are you know five nine cover corners that that are really fast. Now they they will make an exception if a kid can just flat out run and is is really physical. Uh, they'll make an exception and bring in just strictly a cover corner. But uh, for the most part, all these guys have the ability to play corner, nickel, and maybe even play move back to safety or start out at safety and, and possibly have the ability to move down given given how they kind of mature under Zach Duvall and play outside linebackers so um, and, and I like that approach with the staff they're they're not kind of painting themselves into a corner with any of these kids they're giving themselves some options uh, given you know each player's you know skill set and their their overall versatility once they get into the program you know Nate something else too we learned um, and not necessarily a surprise I mean you had been talking about this for quite a while that Noah Paul Gates signed back in December which is in the NCAA database, he's listed as a signed prospect. It didn't say where he signed with, but these are all things that you obviously had a good read on and knew, uh, but you, uh, you respected the kid, his process, how he wanted to go about it. There were, there were a lot of people that were pretty upset that he signed his letter, grown men that, um, you know, just because their thoughts or predictions weren't what they were saying, then they find out he signed with Nebraska. It kind of, you know, stirred up some people, especially out on the West Coast um, in the Phoenix area. Yeah, <clears throat> there's some some media members that, that cover Arizona State and, and their recruiting that that basically threw the kid under the bus because he he signed with Nebraska and and you know it was kept a secret that he actually signed a letter of intent and and that was I mean and, and they even attacked Nebraska a little bit too saying well it was their responsibility to to let people know early on you know when they received his letter of intent to to announce that and uh, apparently the story is that Arizona State still contacted Noah Pola Gates after uh, after the dead period. After he had already signed, and and which is a, a violation, a recruiting violation, uh, because after you sign a letter of intent, you're a non-recruitable student, and athlete. you're listed in an official and database, and you're listed in an official database. Well, that's on them, then. and that's on them. That's on the coaching staff. That's on their compliance department. That's not on Noah Pulagates. It's not his responsibility to reach out to them and say, "Hey, don't call me because I'm signed with somebody." Uh, it's not on Nebraska to to inform the other schools that are looking at him that he's signed with them. Uh, but these media 
media members, they, they kind of threw Noah Pola Gates under the, under the bus, questioned his character, questioned Scott Frost's character for allowing him to do this. And, and hey, mm. this, is, this is the kid's recruiting process. He, he, it's his show. It's his show. I mean, he should be able to announce his commitment however he wants to do it. And in this case, you know, he, he committed to the Polynesian Bowl and said, hey, I'm going to announce my decision uh, in Hawaii at the game for you guys and uh, in a celebration of his you know culture uh, in doing that which is I think is a pretty cool deal and um, you know and he, he has the right to do that and it's I, it's on it's on those staffs um, you know the, in their compliance departments if there was a violation or anything like that it, that's on them but yeah a lot of sour grapes were going around I'd like to know what Nebraska said to convince him to, to sign in December if he, that was really what he wanted to do or so, because I mean that that was that had it not been easy to to say hey, you know what hey you can decide in December and then for a month we're all going to be quiet about this I mean that that just doesn't happen very often no, in today's recruiting world and I think that speaks the amount of trust that that the Pola Gates family had to have in Nebraska to do that because obviously they didn't want this to get out they didn't want to have his moment ruined uh, with this and so they had to they had to trust Nebraska would would keep their mouth shut and kind of kind of go along with the program and and that's exactly what happened uh, I think everyone on Nebraska's end did a tremendous job of of respecting how he wanted to handle everything and um, but yeah, you know, Nebraska had the last in-home visit. I know that, uh, they, they sent in a ton of coaches for that last in-home and obviously, uh, that's probably when all the details with this whole deal were ironed out. So the big question here is obviously he was signed, uh, before that all American game when he leveled Wandale Robinson <laughs> over the middle and had like the scariest <laughs> moment for every Husker fan ever. Knowing that they were both future Huskers at that time, do you think that uh, the staff is going to make Noah run stairs, <laughs> or does he have to compensate Wandale in any way for that uh, that excessive physicality there? Yeah, I don't, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what the the repercussions of of that are going to be, but but yeah, I guarantee you when if that happened, if you're Frost watching oh, that, oh my god, cringeworthy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and you're right. Every I know every Nebraska fan that was watching that just was like, oh no, get up. You know, both the guys they both got up kind of slow, mm-hmm. especially Wandale, but. Yeah, I think uh, at the very least, Wandale owes owes Noah Pola Gates one uh, once, yeah, both, <laughs> once once Noah gets on campus. And speaking of running, uh, we are going to talk about the Nebraska basketball team here next. And my guess is that team did a little bit of running this week after their showing in uh, New Jersey Monday night at Rutgers. They've got a big game Saturday, 11 a.m. with Ohio State before coming back home again Tuesday, uh, 7 o'clock against Wisconsin. We'll get Robin Washett's thoughts on what went wrong at Rutgers and just how big of games these are now in Lincoln over the next week. That's next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. I just question our mindset, but also credit Rutgers. Early in the year, we go 10 for 18 on free throws. You know, free throws are mental toughness in my mind. You know, it's about pre- it's a close skill. It's about preparation. It's about a routine. Like anything else, it's not a competitive deal up there. You're just standing there. When guys that usually shoot better than that um, aren't making them, it, it says something about mindset to me. Missed layups. I mean, we missed easy layups. And it was a plethora of guys. Those things are mindset to me. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washa. That was Nebraska head coach Tim Miles following the Huskers' very disappointing loss at Rutgers 76-69. to This segment of the Husker Online Show brought to you by Tanner Sports Bar and Grill with five locations in Omaha, one here in Lincoln. 
get on into Tanner's, watch Husker basketball here over the weekend. Uh, plenty of college basketball um, going on, the Senior Bowl as well. And uh, then obviously the following week you'll have uh, the Super Bowl going on in Atlanta. So uh, get on into any of those Tanner's locations to check out all the action. But let's get to it, Robin. I mean, that, that was a blow. I mean, I, I think the very optimistic, supportive Nebraska basketball fan felt like the program was beyond a game like that. They felt like Nebraska – going into Rutgers as a double-digit road favorite, which in the Big Ten, I bet if you did like a study over the last seven, eight years, that's how many times you think that's happened, or Nebraska's been a true double-digit favorite on the road. You have a 13-point lead, then you give up a 15-0 run. You just had a number of things go wrong in that game um, where I think the panic of this season now has kind of hit a, a, a real, real high level amongst Husker fans that, you know what, this this team that looked like a surefire tournament lock, there, there's some concerns with these next two home games. Yeah, so the loss itself isn't a death blow by any stretch. I mean, it's their first truly bad loss on the resume. Uh, so, I mean, there's no way to sugarcoat it. But in the grand scheme of things, you know, you still have plenty of opportunities to not only maintain your position uh, as an NCAA tournament team, but um, recover from this. And so all is not lost, but here's where the big concern is. Uh, Not the fact that they lost, but how they lost. Uh, It looked like they were disengaged from the very beginning. Even when they went up by 13, it was kind of one of those, oh, Rutgers is just really bad. Nebraska is going to you know, do what they do and get out of here. Uh, and you hear comments after the game from Tim Miles talking about how the guys uh, were joking around the locker room, didn't really seem all that focused, and that's inexcusable. I mean, this is a team that had lost, what, three of their previous five games? Uh, and, you know, they, they needed every bit of this game. Regardless of what the, the name said on the front of the opponent's jersey, they needed a win, and they needed to go on the road and look good doing it. Uh, and maybe uh, there was some toll left over from the physicality of the Michigan State game and kind of the emotional and physical, uh, but so what? I mean, this is a Rutgers game team that you were significantly better than. You're a veteran group loaded with seniors and upperclassmen uh, that are supposed to, like you said, not allow that type of performance to happen. And just the effort they showed, um, you know, whether it was just not even trying for rebounds, missing easy layups, missing free throws, missing the front ends of one-on-ones, just having defensive lapses. I mean, their 1-3-1 was as ineffective as it's been all season. Uh, That's just, like, like Tim said, it's a mindset. And that is probably the biggest concern about that game. Yes, the loss was extremely damaging, but the they I mean that didn't look like an NCAA tournament team or a team that even really wanted to compete. And for them to get back to where they were a month ago, uh, they got to change uh, in between the ears more so than anything else, in my opinion. Yeah, it, it was a tough loss. You know, I, one of my followers on Twitter made this comment. And I, I thought I said, you know, Nebraska's losing the 50-50 balls. And he goes, no, they're not even 50-50 balls. These are like 70-30 balls mm-hmm. like that you should have almost every time. And they were losing those. Mm-hmm. And, and that was – you know, just the pure effort by Rutgers. Their players wanted to be there. They wanted to get a win. Um, it was cold outside, terrible conditions. They still had a pretty decent crowd, all things considered there. And um, Nebraska had every opportunity yeah. to knock those guys out. I wouldn't out. even say Rutgers played that tough. I mean, they looked like they were ready to lose that game going in. They got down 13, and all of a sudden, Nebraska just continues to hand them the ball and miss shots. And, okay, I guess we'll take it from you. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, Rutgers didn't, like, come out with their hair on fire. That was more Nebraska uh, basically just taking that game completely for granted and just kind of going through the motions until uh, it was far too late for them to recover. And that's a, that's a big concern with this team for me because they don't 
have the luxury of having nights off like that, um, especially with the Big Ten being what it is. Uh, you can't just expect to win, especially on the road, uh, and not play with the same intensity that you did uh, the last time you were out against Michigan State. I mean, you, you can't get caught up in playing up to and playing down to the level of your opponent, and I think that's bit this team quite a bit this year. Uh, and so, you know, I mean, you, they, they got to figure it out, and luck, the good news is they have time to do it, but uh, – you know, it's to quote the movie Shawshank Redemption, it's get busy living or get busy dying time right now. And they better get busy living if they want to stay on course for the NCAA tournament. Well, now I'm going into Saturday. It, it's kind of a bad situation. I mean, yeah, we, want, we everyone won Saturday games, but it's 11 a.m. Saturday game. It's going to be cold out. People are mad. There's this kind of a, uh, the natural Nebraska ball, mm-hmm. cynical nature right now going on where this is not going to be a 7 o'clock Thursday night crowd of no, juiced up people. It won't like, be the Michigan State crowd. They won't be at gate 25 pregame and before they get into the arena. I mean, this is going to be people that have barely had their coffee that are really mad that Nebraska lost the Rutgers. And if they come out and lay an egg early, that's going to be a Morgan there. I will also be curious, Robin, to see what that scan ticket number looks like for this game um, in comparison to maybe some of the last few home games. Yeah, I mean – I think people are still going to show up. You know, that's, that's what Nebraska fans do, and it's a Saturday, and um, you know, people are still going to make a day of it. So I, I don't think the attendance is going to be an issue. But you're right about the attitude in that place. If Nebraska comes out and misses six of their first seven shots, and oh, is, come on. Yeah, is down eight to nothing right out of the gates. Yeah, there's going to be that. A whole lot of, come on, Tim, what are you doing? And, a lot of de- and deservedly so. A lot of old guy arm crossings yeah, and hands yeah. and disgust. I mean, you can't expect teams or the fans to be you know 100% behind you, especially if you put forth the effort that you did against Rutgers the last time out. So uh, they're going to have to create some of their own energy and give the fans reason to cheer. This isn't going to be something where the fan base is going to carry him like they have in some games. Uh, Nebraska needs to go out there and re-earn that trust a little bit because they lost a lot. They lost a lot of that fan trust and all that goodwill that they built up over the first two months of the season. And now they got to go, they got to go win it back. They went two in a row. Yeah. I mean, they can beat Ohio state. They'll, they'll be, Probably six-point favorite. Yeah, Ken Palm has them winning by six. Uh, then they got Wisconsin, which all of a sudden is up to number 13 in the Ken Palm ratings, and they're favored in that game. And then you got Illinois. Then you got Maryland. And then you got you know a road game at Purdue, which is probably your toughest game your, there. Your next time being an underdog. But you have a stretch there of four games where you're going to be the favorite, uh, three of which at home, one against one of the worst teams in the Big Ten. 4-0 is not unreasonable to expect out of that game, and 3-1 and at the bare minimum. Well, we'll find out. Was Saturday, will Saturday or was Monday's loss a wake-up call for this team heading on this uh, pivotal stretch, or was it a sign of what's to come? We'll we'll find out more here over the weekend as Nebraska plays Saturday at 11 a.m. That's a Fox Sports One game with Ohio State. Then they're home Tuesday night for a seven o'clock game with Wisconsin on the Big Ten Network. We come back. We're going to bring in Husker Online intern Mike Wheeler. We'll take your questions in the mailbag. That's next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And Ozigbo's going to get the carry and walk right into the end zone. Nice job by McMarion showing you a little bit of polish there. He ends up signaling a route out to the receivers to the right side and just a dummy signal. End up running the ball right inside. And Ozigbo has a huge alley to roll through. Look at that. That's just, you can drive a truck through there. Wow. That's just too easy. 
And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show uh, as we bring in the mailbag segment. That was Divino Zigbo scoring his touchdown in last weekend's East Shrine game that took place down uh, in Florida, bringing in now Husker Online intern Mike Wheeler, who, by the way, had a uh, – do I understand this right? You guys had a party to watch Divino Zigbo because you, you guys know – you've known Divine most of your college time here at Lincoln. Yeah, Divine, uh, we came in at the same time. Uh, we were both freshmen, so we have gotten to know each other. Uh, the past few years and went over to a buddy's house and uh, had a couple guys come over to uh, watch the game and it, it was pretty fun getting to see him score a touchdown there. I miss those days Nate and Robin when we could just say you know what let's get together and watch the senior bowl together. <laughs> yeah let's have a senior bowl party guys. <laughs> <laughs> well we got the mailbag we all have young kids that if you don't get our sarcasm here and uh, very few opportunities to get together to do things like that these days. But let's get to the questions, Mike. What do you have out of the gates? All right, so we'll start off here uh, with more of a recruiting question. Which are easier to find? Are they defensive ends for a 4-3, uh, outside linebackers for a 3-4, or they have unicorns as a option C? <laughs> um, all of the above. I mean, I think anybody, and Nate, I'm sure you'd agree, I mean, anybody that can get to a quarterback is a hot commodity in the game of football because the game of football – is about third down. And if you have guys that can get to a quarterback, when, you, when your four-man rush can beat a five-man protection, even a six-man protection when you have a back, those guys are very valuable. Um, and, and Nebraska hasn't had very many of those guys since Randy Gregory left this program. Yeah, I would say the easier player to find would be the 4-3 defensive end. Uh, I, I feel like the the perfect 3-4 outside linebacker is is really difficult um, to, to find a kid who has the, the measurables and not only the ability to get after the quarterback, but also the athleticism to cover in space, you know, cover a running back coming out of the backfield or, or tight end or whatever. Um, you know, th those guys are hard to find and, and, and true difference makers at that position, um, you know, are, are you know, targeted early by big time programs. I mean, and that's a big time recruiting battle year in and year out for those guys. You'd think there'd be more of those four, three ends in numbers, but the elite level guys, I mean, there's a reason those are one of the most coveted players across football. I mean, even up to the NFL level. And so I, I, I would venture to say it might be a little more difficult finding that game-changing pass rusher uh, just because they seem so few and far between at all levels. You're an NFL expert, Robin. In the NFL, of the 32 teams, would you, is it 50-50, 3-4 versus 4-3, or is there more 3-4 in the NFL right now? Yeah, it kind of just depends on the scheme. Um, year to year, it changes. Yeah, I mean, whoever the coordinator is, and those coordinators rotate in and out. So there's a lot of scheme changes. I mean, obviously, you have seems like the Steelers that have been 3-4 for decades. Uh, so, I mean, some some of those are kind of traditional. I think the Patriots are 3-4. Um, Giants have gone back between a 4-3-3-4. So there's a lot of mixing and matching depending on who's calling the defense. I still question, Nate, if Nebraska can really – I mean, and they, they blended in a four-man front at times last year, but is a three-man front even their best situation knowing the limited number of linebackers they have? I mean, maybe a four-man look – is there better option this year at times? Yeah, you know, I, I think we'll probably see, uh, we'll probably see them flex back and forth between between the two, given their personnel, uh, and and, that, and I think that's what you you'd like to see. You don't want to see uh, them be completely stubborn and stick with a three four if they don't necessarily always have the personnel for that. All right, so we'll stick with here with recruiting. Um, is it a college coach's sort of underlying goal to get a balanced spot to where they can basically recruit a full complement of twenty two players with one at each position? I mean, yeah, I think in the perfect world, you, you want to be at about 22 guys a year. I mean, but that just there's really no such thing as a perfect world. I mean, there's so many unforeseen factors, especially now with this transfer database, this transfer portal that exists. 
so many guys can at least put their names in that to feel situations out and whatnot. So, um, you know, I think every year you're going to see Nebraska more often than not have classes in the 20s. Uh, you know, there, there was one year, Nate, I think Nebraska was, they signed 17 or 18 kids in one year, and that, that's the only time really they've signed under 20 um, that I can remember. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's been a long time since since they've been under 20. Um, yeah, and, and ideally you'd like to be able to just say, okay, well, yeah, we're going to take, um, you know, one guy at, e- at each position or whatever. But uh, that's so hard to, to do when you've got – I mean, there's so many different variables in terms of, of transfers, you know, medical, you know, guys kind of having an early retirement due to due to medical reasons or um, or an injury occurs that causes somebody to redshirt and that throws off your, your scholarship distribution numbers or, you know, or whatever the case may be. It, I mean, you're always constantly it's fluid. Yeah, you're always looking at your at your roster and your scholarship distribution and, and those numbers and and they're always going to fluctuate from year to year. All right, now so we'll switch over to basketball. Uh, sort of an overarching uh, kind of question. Do you think that Nebraska can ever get to a level where they make the tournament every year, or do you think they're sort of destined to be sort of a middle-of-the-pack team? I think they certainly can. Uh, I mean, they have the resources behind it. Uh, I mean, th- th- there's enough financial commitment behind the program to make the tournament. I mean, that's <laughs> when you look at I mean, the grand scheme of things, that's not that crazy of an idea to just make the tournament even if it's not every year more often than not this should be a program that makes the NCAA tournament given uh, the amount of fan support and the amount of uh, investment from the university that's put into it but there are some hurdles that keep it from getting there and recruiting is probably by far the biggest Uh, just the the geography of where they are there's not a lot of players around regionally uh, and, and it's kind of the chicken the egg thing do you need to win to get good players consistently or do you need good players consistently to win and right now Nebraska is kind of in that tweener where they have some pretty good players they just don't have enough of them to win at the level where they can continue to stockpile those players and so that's just kind of where they are and what makes this season so important or play by a different set of rules that has the FBI getting involved yeah there's one way to get good (laughs) in a very quick amount of time but Nebraska has chosen not to do that so all right Mike what do you got next Uh, all right so uh, kind of uh, just a broad question for all three of you guys Uh, how often do you write a story planning on an event to happen but then uh, what you expect to happen ends up not happening I mean, it happens a lot, oh, yeah. um, but you have to be prepared. Um, but usually when we pre-write something and have it loaded, there's a good reason why. We have a really, really strong indication that something's going to happen. But, yeah, I can't tell you how many times, I mean, Nate or Mike or any of us will have a recruiting thing where we think a guy is going to come and then a 17-year-old kid decides to be a 17-year-old kid and something happens and changes and uh, the story that maybe we've loaded and written, uh, you got to delete it. And I know, Nate, you've had a lot of those over the years. Oh, yeah. It happens a lot with recruiting. I think that – I mean, there's – I've had to delete stories from – from everything from just having a good hunch that something's going to happen to all the way to being, you know, 99.999% sure that it is done, signed, sealed, delivered. And then all of a sudden, yeah, there's a late change of heart or, or whatever, um, you know, and, and I'll never forget the the year with Jimmy or Calvin and, and all those, you know, all the, the Calabrasca stuff, uh, especially at that, at that all American bowl game. Uh, you know, that was, that was a deal where 
you had it didn't matter what type of information you had uh, you know you <laughs> people had had stories that were that were probably trashed after that whole deal so uh, it happens it's part of the deal but you would I'd rather delete a story than to be completely you know caught flat-footed on it I guess yeah uh, game stories are probably the worst because I mean you're doing it literally on the fly like the Northwestern Hail Mary game. Like I basically just deleted my entire first like five <laughs> paragraphs because it's all about how Nebraska, you know, failed opportunity again, couldn't beat Northwestern. Then Western Camp makes the catch. It's like, well, here we go. <laughs> and then uh, the Northwestern game last year, uh, you know, when they blew it in the final minutes and uh, I was basically on my phone on the sideline writing the game story as it went on uh, because it did not go the way that I intended when I went down the elevator. So that happens all the time. Uh, you just got to be flexible. And a lot of times uh, you write two different leads, one if they lose, one if they win. And a little then pro kind tip of, there. Then kind of uh, adjust it as necessary when the outcome becomes more clear. All right, Mike, one more question. What do you got? All right, so uh, we got to witness what I thought was probably one of the best uh, championship Sundays uh, that we got to see. So now that we have the two teams set for the Super Bowl, uh, Patriots and Rams, who do you guys got? Oh, man. It's hard to pick against the Patriots because they've got so much experience. And everyone talks about Brady, but the Patriots' defense. I mean, what they did, the way they slowed down Kansas City, limited the run game, um, it's hard to pick against New England in the situation, um, you know, not knowing. But I do think man for man, L.A. is a better team. I think they have better players across the board. But the big one is Brady versus Jared Goff. And I think Jared Goff, um, Brady's got a significant edge there, obviously. Yeah, I'll be rooting for the Rams, but – if I were to invest anything into it, I would say the Patriots, just because they have all that experience. They have the Brady factor. They are playing. They're such a versatile team that they can adjust their style to whoever they're playing. Uh, so they are just, I mean, they're the Patriots. I can't stand them, but they are what they are. Uh, so hopefully the Rams and Sue can uh, find a way to disrupt all of that and end Brady's 40th birthday in a sad tone. And they're the underdogs, Robin. No one respects. He's too old. They're too old. What's they're too spread? slow. Uh, I think the Patriots. So here's what's interesting. I think the Patriots are favorite. By like three. Yeah. And so I was listening to I think it was Jim Rome today, and he was saying that uh, all the money is going on New England, including the Sharps. Sharps have already gone in on, Racket. on the Patriots. So uh, there's a little bit of tips for those rec recreational betters. It's actually, it looks like it's currently a pick em. I don't think pick they em. have Ooh. it up quite yet. Yeah, so, okay. So that's probably why there's an early flow on the Patriots, because they might eventually become that. How about Greg Zerloin, though, and Rex Burkhead? I mean, 57-yard walk-off that would have been good from, like, 70? Yeah, that, that kick was amazing. <laughs> I mean, he's unbelievable. He's so, one of those guys that he would have He came, was hurt most of the year, too. He, he had a hip injury in college that caused him to sit out a year. And he was a part-time student, so that's why he had a six-year of eligibility that he could have used only at Division Two. If the NCAA would have allowed him to, he would have gone to Nebraska, been Alex Henry's successor, and gone into a battle with Brett Maher in camp that year. Mm. It would have been pretty interesting yeah, to talk see. talk about some good kickers. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, it, sadly, I say this tongue-in-cheek, the last 20 years, the, the best football players in the state of Nebraska have been kickers. Yeah. I mean, Maher... Starts with the Cowboys. Zerloin starts with the Rams. And, and Henry had a multi-year starting career with the Eagles. And Fultz probably would have been the NFL, too. And Fultz would have yep. been the I mean, so you, I mean, you look at the guys from this state in the league. Well, Sam, Sam Cook. <laughs> yeah, Cook is, is – is Kyle Larson was Kyle in the Larson league. Kyle Larson was in the league forever. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's um, interesting how 
And a lot, none of those kids really took part in like that kicker stuff. You know, Fultz did obviously, but guys that go to those combines and kicker events, I and mean, they were just Nebraska multi-sport athlete kids that learned how to kick and, and made a lot of money doing it. So, uh, well, that wraps it up here for the mailbag. When we come back, we're going to dedicate two full segments to recruiting. We'll start off next here with what's left for Nebraska. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus. Time to talk some recruiting here as we are edging closer to what's really going to be, Nate, like one of the more uneventful signing days in February maybe we've ever seen in Nebraska. I mean, we're so used to being the day. Even last year it was the day for Nebraska because they didn't have a lot of December guys, but this has been really the first true kind of new signing period Nebraska fans have experienced. And let me tell you, it's been, I don't want to say slow, but a lot easier just to kind of get a handle on what's going on. Well, yeah, we've been able to kind of avoid that, the rat race that January has, has always been, you know, at least since I can remember, um, since I've been kind of covering it on this side of things. So, uh, and it's nice. It's I mean, it's kind of nice to not have to to be not only tracking down new players that are picking up late offers because other guys have fallen off the board, but also checking in with kids that have been committed for you know eight months to make sure that uh, that the, the the poachers are staying away and that they're solid to Nebraska and this and that and and whatever else. Um, you know, it, it, they've got about three spots left now that Pola Gates is officially in the board and. Um, you know, and, and they're being able to, to kind of focus in on 2020, which is going to make that class flow a lot better, too. I, I think they've got longstanding relationships with a lot of kids now in that class. And, uh, and, and I think we'll probably see things take off there, um, you know, maybe even right before uh, the, the signing day. But I think it's, it's made it so much easier for not only us that, that have to cover it, but also for the coaches. I mean, so many less headaches when you've got 90% of your, your class in the boat. You don't have to worry about them going anywhere. Uh, you feel good about, about what, you know, what you had coming out of December, and you've been able to kind of be laser-focused in on your remaining 10 targets or so. Now, Nate, let me ask you this. Um, is it three spots left or four? So it's it's four spots that are that are left in the class. They're at twenty six commitments, but they don't count Darian Dan. Are you counting Darian Daniels as one of the twenty six? Or is, well, so yeah, twenty six. Um, when you take Bland out of it, yeah. If you, if you take Bland out of it, um, twenty six total signees or whatever. If you're counting Darian Daniels um, and, and taking Bland off, and taking Bland off. So I mean, and Bland is he's kind of the. Um, you know, the, the unknown right now, you know, it's, it's kind of remains to be seen exactly what's going to happen with him, uh, in this class. I I know that ultimately Nebraska would like to have him be a part of the class, but, uh, certainly there's a lot of, you know, a lot of questions surrounding him and his recruitment with the oddest thing to me is that you, you're not seeing him take other visits. You're not seeing Nebraska really visit him. Uh, and maybe they have, and it just has gone completely under the radar and no one's willing to talk about it. Um, I know him, Desmond, for the most part, has gone completely quiet. And so, um, you know, it's just all of a sudden like he's this forgotten recruit, even though he's been committed to Nebraska since early, Jan- or early June. So um, he's definitely the, the biggest question mark here. But uh, I think that we'll see – at least three three more signees, uh, you know, or three more players added to the class by the time February's signing day rolls around. So receiver, 
bigger bodied receiver, let me say, would be one of those guys, uh, right? I mean, I'll just say receiver. I, I think they'd prefer to get, you know, somebody different in that room, like a Charles Njoku, who's 6'5", 205 pounds. Um, I mean, definitely he would bring an added dimension to that wide receiver room. But at the same time, if they don't get him, they would love to add Demarion Houston, who is a legit 4-4, 4-3 type of guy with, with verifiable track times, who's just a flat burner. I mean, they're never going to turn away speed like that, uh, you know, at that, especially at that position. So, uh, and, but he's only, you know, he's six foot, 170 pound kid that can flat out run. And they kind of have a guy like that already with Jamie Nance. But uh, like I said, they're not going to turn away somebody like that. Outside linebacker is the, the, they take two, right? You think? Well, I don't know. It depends uh, who the two is. Yeah, it depends on who the two is. It depends on, you know, on how other players at other positions kind of shake out here over the next couple couple weeks but for sure one outside linebacker uh and then out, outside of that I think it's pretty much a wild card you know we talked earlier in the show about how no Pola Gates could possibly start out at corner how he's got that ability so I, th- I think uh defensive back is not uh the highest priority although they would still like to add a corner I think um and, and the most likely player left is is Jamel Starks out of uh, out of Georgia who's already taken his official visit. He's got, I think he's got a trip coming up to Louisville and Syracuse before signing day um, and before he announces his decision. So, um, you know, and then you've got Matthew Polamau, who is uh, Noah Pola Gates' cousin at the defensive tackle spot, you know, and, and he's visiting the last week uh, right before signing day. And, and so you don't know what kind of arrangements have already been talked about or, or you know, how, how that whole deal is going to shake out. But it seems like Nebraska is – is the main team kind of pushing for him right now. So I don't know. Um, I mean, there's a lot of question marks that kind of surround that whole deal. John Bivens at the running back position is still out there. And maybe the most intriguing recruit on the board uh, outside of Desmond Bland because, I mean, you look at the numbers and you don't say, boy, Nebraska really needs to add another running back. But at the same time, this is a kid that they've continued to recruit here almost for an entire year now, uh, even though he, he, you know, I guess took the year off or more or less redshirted his senior season because he, he injured his knee as a junior, decided not to play this past season. That way he could clean up some some things in the classroom and also become completely healthy uh, before he enters college. And, and I think that kind of backfired on him because now he's got like two options. He's got Nebraska and Toledo. And so I think he's basically waiting for the green light from Nebraska to join this class. Would love to, but I think that's kind of a wait-and-see deal right now too. Yeah, this will be, Nate, I think one of the biggest classes we've seen at Nebraska since 05. Yeah. I, mean, the, the, I mean, that was 32 commitments in 05. And this will be 30. And this will be, yeah, this will be right at right around 30. So, yeah, it's in, you know, this they're taking advantage of it. And even the walk-ons, I mean, they're going to have 25 walk-ons. I mean, you're looking at 55 new faces, over 100 new faces added to the program in just over a year. I mean, that, that, that when you put it into those broad terms, it's pretty amazing how many new faces? I mean, the walk the walk on recruiting alone. I mean, it's somewhat exhausting keeping up with that too, just because there's so many guys that just kind of come uh, out of the woodwork with another commit on the walk on side of things too. Yeah, I mean that's been that's been difficult to track. And kudos to Nebraska because they've been working that thing hard. Uh, and this is not just a kind of a late scramble uh, like we kind of became accustomed to over the last like a weekend deal, yeah, and they would be yeah. they would just take. 10, 15 guys to appease the fans and, and, you know, move on from there. Exactly. It used to be, you know, the, that last 
you know, the, the last two weeks of the recruiting cycle. So basically right around now is when you would start to hear about some guys picking up some walk-on offers and or maybe guys making unofficial visits or whatever. Uh, but this has been a deal. They've been working these guys for a long, long time. They've been treating them basically like like recruits that had scholarship offers, recruiting them with the same type of uh, consistency and bringing them in for multiple visits and so on and so forth and making them feel like they're a part of this recruiting class like they are scholarship players, basically. And and I think it's paid off. There's a lot of really good players in this walk-on class. But, yeah, between last year's walk-on class and this year's walk-on class, you're going to have right around 50 players uh, that are coming into the program. Um, And so, yeah, between – since Frost has gotten here, you're talking well over – a hundred guys that he's brought into the program and 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 you know the span of what 14 months or so yeah it's really remarkable uh just the amount of new faces and better question and we'll talk about this i'm sure a lot over over the next few months nate is we're going to put all these guys as far as space um we've hinted the new football facility could be coming sooner rather than later i think when you keep growing the roster like this it's inevitable that they're going to have to do something to address the space concerns of lockers meeting rooms training rooms everything in general uh, to ac- accommodate a roster of this size. Yeah, we, when the, all the new facilities were built, they they were kinda, built for 125. Yeah, they're built for 125, and and now they're they're well well over that. So yeah, you do have to address those issues, and uh, and, and I'm I'm sure that uh, I'm sure that we'll be hearing you know, how they're going to do that here sooner than later. All right, when we come back, we are going to talk about who's coming in this weekend, and also get a better idea from Nate on how many visits Nebraska is going to have to carry over for the 2020 cycle as whatever they don't use of their total allotted visits, they'll be able to use ideally in April, May, and June. So we'll get Nate's idea or thoughts on that next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show, final segment of the show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, as uh, we're talking some recruiting and Things are about done here for Nebraska, Nate. Now, this will be the final weekend they'll have guys in, or could they technically still bring guys in one more weekend after that? No, they'll bring in guys this weekend, and then the last weekend, the weekend of February 1st through the 3rd, they'll have some visitors uh, that weekend as well. But as far as, as this weekend, it uh, just looks like there's only going to be one one recruit in town. And Dylan that's, Jordan? And that's Dylan Jordan, the outside linebacker out of uh, Pittsburgh, Kansas. And that's been an interesting one to follow because – and you wrote about it this week, Nate, in three and out. And, you know, after he made his visit out to Utah, um, some reports were put out there, particularly by our Kansas State site um, and even our Utah rival site, that um, Nebraska was no longer recruiting him, not in the mix. It sounded like some things got out there that put Nebraska in a situation where they backed off. And that's why Kansas and Kansas State backed off. Well, uh, we've been able to find out that a lot of those rumors out there were not true, and Nebraska did their own investigating, and they've obviously recruited Dylan Jordan very hard, visited him in home with Scott Frost. Um, Shenander's been there the last two weeks or three weeks in a row. I mean, he's they've been Shenander's there. been there twice, I believe. Ryan Ooh. Held's been there twice. Frost has been there once. So, yeah, they, they've gone at him with the full-court press, so there's no doubt they are very interested in Dylan Jordan. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's, it's really been a strange situation where – you know, it, it almost now that things have played out the way that they've played out. I mean, it almost kind of makes you wonder if if KU or K State didn't float some bad information to kind of save face a little bit because they found out that that Nebraska was going to have a good shot or, or these other teams were going to have a better shot than maybe they were going to have to to land him. So, and, and you know, 
Nebraska knows full well it's never a good look when a good in-state player gets out uh, out from from right in your own backyard so um, you know it's hard to say if that's exactly what happened but bottom line is there was certainly some rumors circulating out there and um, and and we know that this staff is is uh, they do their due diligence with a lot with all these guys in terms of looking into their character, checking things out, um, you know, and making sure that they'd be good fits in in the in the culture that they're trying to to trying to establish here and set up, and and that uh, they're not going to be bringing in a problem into the locker room. And uh, they've continued to recruit Dylan Jordan, so it's I mean it's fairly obvious that whatever was going around there, Nebraska does not see it um, as a concern and. and and they're they're fully willing to to bring Dylan Jordan in. So he's visiting this weekend. He's announcing his decision Monday night. Uh, so about 24 hours after his official visit to Lincoln is over, he's announcing his decision. So I think you have to feel pretty good about where Nebraska sits with him right now. Yeah, it's almost like you know there there are, he did have some academic concerns. That's always been that's uh, always kind of been and that got multiplied by about 10. I mean that that fishing story just got longer and longer yeah. and longer. And that's why Kansas State never initially offered. And you know people down there are like, well he would have committed to K-State long ago and I mean I don't know it's it, it's hard to get your finger on, on on all of that how you have a guy that's what 6'3 6'3 215 and pounds. runs a 10'8 yeah he's a 10'8 guy I mean he's a three-sport athlete um and, and I mean one of the better overall athletes in the entire state of Kansas and and Nebraska offers before K-State does K-State follows up up with an offer after the Huskers do it um, and then all of a sudden they mysteriously back off. And Utah offered, TCU offered, Auburn offered. Auburn offered. I mean, legit he, teams. Yeah, he picked up a lot of offers uh, there in, in a span of about you know ten ten to fourteen days in December. And in uh, Nebraska was one of the the first kind of leading that charge. And um, you know, and it could all pay off here in, in a big way. Uh, you know, in, here in the next few days, after, as he makes his way to, to Lincoln for his official, and and then eventually announces his decision on Monday night. All right, Nate, let's let's look ahead here. Um, you know, th- this visit cycle is going to come to a close, and Nebraska will finally be in a lot better position as far as visit numbers. Last year, Nebraska had to use a lot of additional visits because the Mike Riley staff used so many before they got there that. Uh, is it 56 you get to use or fi- 56 visits a year? So Nebraska now will go into April, May, and June with an additional 10 to 12 visits, right? I mean, is that, is that kind of what you see right That's now? That's what it's looking like. You know, obviously until until the that final recruiting weekend, the week before uh, February 6th signing day is over, it's it's still kind of fluid. But it's looking like they're going to have, you know, 10 to 12 visits to use for the spring uh, all the way up until that last weekend in June when when things uh, when when the rec- when the official visit period kind of ends for the juniors. And then obviously that number resets on, uh, you know, August 1st or, or January or July 31st, rather. So, um but yeah, they're going to be in a totally different position than they were last year. They had two two visits to use last year. They elected to save those visits for uh, for transfers uh, to to come in the program. But now they're going to be able to to uh, extend official visits to to some juniors this spring or or in the in the. Um, uh, in June, when the big red weekend, yeah, big red weekends, Friday Night Lights, yeah, and all that stuff. So I, I think that that's a uh, you know that's going to be advantageous for this for the staff to especially in this recruiting cycle where I think that they've been able to establish great relationships with a lot of the 2020 kids they've been able to uh, 
to to kind of get a get a little bit of a head start with these players where they weren't able to do that in 2019 and and some of these 2020 guys that are going to want to commit early I think they can say okay yeah it's it's going to be uh, worth our time to bring these guys in in the spring or for the spring game on an official visit or in June for an official visit uh, and maybe try to get them in the boat early. Well, and, and that will be a stock that kind of keeps paying off because when you can bring in 10 to 12 guys that you would have had to wait till August, then that's 10 to 12 more visits now you're going to have available uh, to carry over for the next year. So it, it's going to be a deal where it's 10 to 12 visitors that they could bring in this year. That might be 15 to you know, closer to 18 visitors the following year in the spring, summer. So um, it will really be something, I think, in recruiting that Nebraska is going to be able to uh, keep building on because I, I do think you're going to have to have, you know, seven to eight guys coming in for a spring game on officials down the road and maybe seven to eight guys coming in in the Big Red weekends or Friday Night Lights um, as well. And uh, that would be because, you know, the history tells you kids come to campus on those weekends and they commit. Uh, the numbers just prove that, and those are the kids that want to be committed before their senior years are done. Yeah, especially kids who, before they start. Excuse me. Exactly before their senior seasons start, and and especially if a kid you know is is uh, ready to make a decision, but. Um, isn't able to make it on an unofficial visit uh, financially, you know, that's that's where you want to use your official visit to, to bring that kid in on. Uh, or if he's visited several times already but wants to take one last look uh, before he makes a decision, um, you know, you feel good about using your official there. I, I don't know if we'll ever see Nebraska want to go full out crazy, bring in, you know, using 20 officials in, in the spring if they have them. Uh, but at the same time, they're in a much better spot than they were last year because uh, of all the visits that were used during the season. And obviously, you know, when the change happened, a lot of those guys uh, either left the class that were already committed or, or you know, just kind of dropped Nebraska and, and started to look elsewhere. You know, they had a very limited amount of visits to use and, and a lot of spots yet uh, left to fill into the class. So they just did not have the, the luxury of using any of those officials in the spring or summer last Well, and year. for taking 30 guys, Nate, Nebraska's commit-to-visit ratio batting average is pretty dang good. It's been – phenomenal ever since they got to Nebraska. I mean, what they did last year to close out the 2018 class was unreal. And really what they've done so far um, in this year's class has been pretty phenomenal given given the, the big class, like you mentioned. I mean, um, you just you don't see that type of efficiency all that often, and it's looking like this is this is kind of the what to expect going forward. We're on the home stretch of recruiting. Make sure you're on Husker online as we'll have a full recap of of the weekend, and obviously Robin Washett uh, will have you covered this weekend as well with Nebraska versus Ohio State in basketball here at 11 o'clock on Saturday. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.